Hello, listener. You are tuned in to Stems and Leaves, a podcast that explores intersectional stories in STEM. I am your host and local GI scientist, Emmy Matridi. Each episode, I invite a new guest to discuss how their identities have shaped the work that they do in STEM. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Amber Woodburn-McNair. Hi, Amber. Hello. So, Amber, you are a professor at The Ohio State University in City and Regional Planning. Uh, Would you share a bit about the work you do? Yes. Uh, So, as an assistant professor, my world revolves around research and teaching. Uh, The research I focus on tends to be related to aviation, air transportation, planning topics. And my teaching, I've successfully managed to teach three out of my four classes that are exclusively on transportation topics, which is very uh, exciting to me to have that much of my teaching time just dedicated to transportation. Mm-hmm. What do you love most about the work that you get to do, whether it be like in the research or maybe in the teaching? I know that's two very different fields to be playing in, but what's your favorite thing so far? Yeah, transportation is really exciting to me because I was always drawn first, I think, towards engineering because the idea of big infrastructure and space built environment was fascinating to me. Uh, But I always had this streak of interest about social systems and uh, what sort of outcomes are we actually aiming for beyond just here's this great big thing we've built. Mm -hmm. Um, So the opportunity to use transportation as really the the mode of delivering social outcomes. It's how we get access to resources. It's how we all move and live our lives. And the built environment greatly shapes how we are able to make those choices and and gain an ease of access to the things that we all need to thrive um, with our families and individually. Mm -hmm. Uh, From the teaching perspective, I have had a long list of wonderful, particularly women mentors and educators throughout my life so to follow in their footsteps to try to provide support systems um, intellectually and also at times emotionally for young people that are trying to find their way is very much an integral part of uh, why I love my job and would hope to stay in this field for a long time. I guess before I started doing GIS and started working for ODA, I totally didn't get how big transportation is and how complex it is. How did you stumble into transportation? I know aviation especially as your specialization. (laughs) Definitely a stumble, blowing (laughs) in the wind, not particularly intentional. Um, When I was in high school, I couldn't have told you about a career in transportation period. I knew Mm -hmm. engineering was a thing. I also applied to, you know, a university for marine biology. I was sort of all over the place, but definitely focused on science and um, and engineering concepts. As I entered civil engineering uh, as an undergraduate degree program, I was able to meet people who were engaged in research and teaching topics related to transportation. And through meeting them, I was then sort of passed down, you know, emails, apply to this scholarship, Mm -hmm. apply to this uh, internship program. So the same internship program you are about to start Mm -hmm. um, was my first serious introduction into transportation careers. And it's because I took a class, met someone who I got along with really well as a mentor, and she forwarded me an email to apply to the Stipdig internship with U.S. Department of Transportation. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was awarded it, and it just... That was, the, that was the first step, really, into mm-hmm. considering transportation as a career. Um, I continued in undergrad to work for different transportation-oriented research groups mm-hmm. um, and even grant administration. I worked for the Clicketer Ticket Program in oh, California at uh-huh. one point, literally just counting timesheets 
However, those two women that I worked for at the time were some of my favorite mentors, both mm-hmm. from a very personal and professional perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I also transitioned to work as an undergraduate research assistant with an aviation-oriented research group while I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, so just building up a network of really cheerleaders and advocates who saw potential in me and wanted to help me find my way, uh, I was able to explore things that really had never occurred to me until I went to college. Yeah, that's really impressive. So I'm really curious about this, you know, network of mentors that you've built. Um, Something that I hear in a ton of, like, freshman, like, seminars and, like, career professionalization is, like, network, 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 like, get mentors, get people on your team. Um, a new idea that a friend Jocelyn of mine shared with me was like building your own personal board of advisors. I am in the process of doing that um, and connecting with people I work with and some faculty members that have stepped into sort of mentor roles for me. So how did you go about doing that? And sort of what advice would you give to me, a lonely undergrad, (laughs) trying to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I I wish someone when I was 18 had said that phrase to me, like build your own personal board of advisors. Um, I was a hustler, I would say, to pay my way through undergrad. So I Mm -hmm. sort of by default of the hustle Mm -hmm. and working really hard, honestly writing some kick-ass cover letters, Mm -hmm. very good at writing cover letters when I was younger. I think I still am particularly good compared to (laughs) other like 18 to 20 year olds. Yeah, Uh, I was able to get some great experience and sort of just lucked out that it was experience with these like wonderful women who were very driven and great mentors. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I noticed very early in meeting them how valuable they were and how much I wanted to maintain good relationships with them mm-hmm. um, so I uh, honestly I think a little bit was you know luck circumstance uh, a lot of hard work mm-hmm. um, but I, I highly uh, co-signed this build your own personal board of advisors concept um, and if you're another hustler out there <laughs> just trying to make ends meet like keep climbing the ladder like I had worked you know, 4 a.m. shifts at a bakery and oh, a wow. restaurant. Like I had, I had started out at like solid minimum wage, mm-hmm. working very long hours to the detriment of my academic program. Um, but I kept trying to find the next pay grade that I could reach so I could mm-hmm. work fewer hours and get better experience. Um, so I would just say, don't settle in the hustle when you're young. Um, it's, I, I don't, uh, I don't mean to cast blame on anyone who is sort of stuck in the middle. I know it's tough out there, so no no judgment. Um, But if you're wondering, like, how do I build that board of advisors? If you have the luxury of some financial stability, you Mm -hmm. know, find meetups, find events at your at the local university, whether you're a student or not. A lot of them are public, Mm -hmm. Um, and and just start putting yourself in those spaces somehow, um, and walk up and introduce yourself to someone. It's really hard. Um, in those environments. I still struggle with it on certain days. I'm not having my best social day. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you have to just make the introductions and meet people that will inspire you. I mean, once you have your network and your connections, there is something to be said for maintenance. And that was something that I found challenging for maintaining those relationships because Mm -hmm. I moved all over the country for a long time. Um, So finding, whether it's through 
you know, an email every now and then, or maybe it's a Zoom meeting or a phone call or just a, hey, I want to drop you a line and let you know how things are going. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a reminder of, to remind those people that they were meaningful to you can help. I think it all just comes down to like your hustle mood. You know, the days where I'm not having a great hustle mood or one of those low dips, mm-hmm. some seasons of your life stand out for their positivity. Others stand out for some of the negative things they bring you. Um, reminding yourself that that network still exists in the low times that they still value you when you're in your yeah. low times that it's okay to reach out when you actually need the help not just yeah. when things are going great yeah um, it's a big a, practice of self-care in a lot of ways we're a couple minutes in let's uh, switch the sort of focus now over to intersectionality uh, so the focus of this show is about how our identities, whether it be your race, your ethnicity, your gender or sexual identity, mm-hmm. affect specifically the work you do, and especially in STEM. There are a lot of underrepresented minorities um, or a lot of minorities in STEM that I have seen that don't have a voice or platform to safely or confidently speak up for themselves mm-hmm. um, and be secure in their identities. Uh, so I am really curious about how you identify and how that has affected your work. So would you share first uh, your identities? Yeah, so my my identities I would frame um, as, you know, uh, from a relative space of privilege for the most part, very, you know, white, light-skinned, native English speaker living in the United States, um, heteronormative lifestyle, I have a husband, um, able-bodied, you know, really the thing that I come up against uh, in the workplace personally and it has affected me more so even when I was younger than today was uh, being female and present wanting to present very feminine mm-hmm. um, and facing certain types of sexual harassment in the workplace mm-hmm. um, you know and then you know all of that impacts your personal life as well which can also affect your workplace um, but I've also had um, mental health challenges um, mm-hmm. that have certainly affected how I work Um, So I think that my goal has always been, um, since I could really understand the concepts of privilege, I would say, has always been to try to find ways to be an ally Mm -hmm. and be able to speak to the things um, that allow others to bring their full selves into whatever space I am in, right? So whether it's out at a social night, I want people to bring their full selves Mm-hmm. If I'm in the classroom, leading a classroom environment, I want people to bring their full selves, particularly there, because it's so important to f- not be distracted by the fear of how others perceive you when you're in mm-hmm. these learning spaces, um, and to believe that there are people that want you to succeed, um, no matter your personal identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is challenging when you have privilege uh, to really practice allyship uh, in a in a believable way, because sometimes it's tempting to say, "Oh, I'm an ally," right? but yeah. how do you practice? Being yeah, where's the actions behind it? Um, and you know, even fighting in my own in my own way, fighting uh, the urge for the heteronormative pronouns, right? Like that's something mm-hmm. that I know I default on, not because I believe that's the only way to identify, but just mm-hmm. because that's social conditioning that I'm I've been subjected to. Yeah, but I try to make the space for students to to tell me how they want to be acknowledged mm-hmm. um, and do my best to respect that and honor that and make sure that anyone else in the room knows that that's also expected of them. Yeah. 
I will say, so I took a class with Amber uh, this past semester. It was uh, transportation and land use planning. Take it if you're at Ohio State. It was great. Um, And the first day of class, you had us write down our names and our pronouns and a couple other, like, icebreaker, Mm -hmm. here's a fun fact about me, on a note card and hand it in to you. And that was the first time in my four years at Ohio State that any instructor ever asked me for my pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember at first being a little skeptical like it was the first time I'd ever seen an instructor do this and I was just like kind of like yeah right like <laughs> okay yeah. um but you definitely practice what you preached at one point in class a couple weeks later uh there was just a discussion happening and you referred to mm-hmm. me just in a passing moment mm-hmm. by she her pronouns which I breezed over um, in most spaces on campus people refer to me as she her and I'm very femme presenting so I accept it good to yeah. go um, but you reached out to me in an email afterwards mm-hmm. and you recognized that that's not what I had requested and regardless of the dope ass dress I was wearing or however <laughs> cute my lip gloss was um, my preference is what is required in that moment um, um, all right, so let's cycle kind of background to your identities. Um, something I'm really curious about is, I think, as you know, a woman in STEM, especially a woman in academia, mm-hmm. there I've heard you know many a horror story. So of course I'm going to ask you now. <laughs> um, can you describe a time or situation when your identity, your presentation as a woman sort of conflicted with your workspace and like what sort of conflicts have come up with you in regard to that? Yeah, uh, I've definitely had conflict, you know, I think the earliest quote professional conflict I remember is even just getting into or earning admission into the UC Berkeley civil engineering program for undergrad. Mm -hmm. And I had done so much great things to earn my way Mm -hmm. in a very, you know, uh, standout performance as a high schooler. And I remember there were some sour peers in high school that said, I only got in because I'm a girl, and they're just short on girls, right? Yeah. I was like, were you mm-hmm. president of these five clubs? Did you get on, uh, like, the top ten list for all the students? You know, it was mm-hmm. just to be undermined so fast after earning something that they felt entitled to was really the first, the first of many instances where that exact engagement mm-hmm. repeated itself throughout my life um straight up sexual harassment like people touching me in ways they shouldn't be um people saying things um to try to show interest in me in a sexual nature gross um, people following me to cubicles in big office environments to try to get my personal information not taking no for an answer um mm. and not getting necessarily the support from uh, more senior colleagues when they were told about these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of crying alone in a bathroom because I just can't, I don't have anyone to talk to and I don't know how to process yeah. it. Like, that was a lot of my um, time, I would say, from maybe 2021 to 24. There was a lot mm-hmm. of moments like that. Um, I As I've gotten, uh, you know, now I'm 31. Am I 31? <laughs> yes, I'm 31. Um in my later 20s, I was very much in a graduate school environment, an mm-hmm. academic and research environment, uh, and I was fortunate to have, again, some wonderful uh, mentors, um, many of whom were women, but also like men that really showed up and mm-hmm. presented themselves as allies and great mentors. 
that's that's good to lean back on to make you feel welcome but it doesn't mm-hmm. cancel out all those other experiences yeah just being at osu i had a moment where i walked into a special lunch slash talk and i looked professional i had my professional clothes on mm-hmm. um but an older male scholar professor uh started trying to talk to me about you know being a first year law student like just assumed hmm. assumed I had the lowest possible credential for getting into the lunch. Yeah. And so he he didn't intend harm. Like he wasn't trying to quote put me in my place. Yeah. He probably um upon learning that I was actually a professor maybe maybe felt some shame about that mm-hmm. interaction. It's just the frustration with being assumed the lowest level of competency. Yeah is something that follows you around as a woman. And I, and I get it as a white woman. I'm sure even you have an intersectional approach that's compounded in lots of other ways for people who have different identities. And mm-hmm. I'm sensitive to that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's still very, it's very frustrating to have that <clears throat> reminder when you, when you're kind of feeling like a boss bitch, like, yeah. like I'm, you know, um, so that's why it's so helpful to be deliberate about workspaces. If you have that luxury, I was very deliberate in joining city planning at OSU and reaching out to them um, because I saw the type of colleagues they were in mm-hmm. the broader planning community in academia and and had talked with some of them one-on-one and seen their leadership. And I, I wanted to work with those people mm-hmm. uh, from a like professional and cultural competency perspective. Mm-hmm. So I had certainly <clears throat> in previous academic environments where I was a student or a TA or, you know, te- like a, a graduate teaching assistant or something, mm-hmm. I had seen how harmful it is to be oblivious to those uh, microaggressions that exist all the time and perpetuating mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I decided I didn't want to work in a space. I didn't love uh, research and teaching so much that I wanted to do anything I could to be in any any space that would take me. Right? Yeah. I wanted to find a work environment that matched my values of respect for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been very happy with city and regional planning at OSU uh, because there's some real intentionality about um, respecting identities and, and, and being self-aware and challenging ourselves to do better. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great thought. All right, we're going to take a quick break for sponsors, and then we'll be back with some more conversation. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Stems and Leaves. The show would not be possible without the support and encouragement of so many wonderful friends and guests. Tune in every other week at stemsandleaves.com for new episodes where we discuss new topics in STEM. And thank you especially to Dr. Amber Woodburn-McNair for sitting down with me for this episode. We had a great discussion, and it was a pleasure to have you on the show. And now, we'll get back to that interview. All right, we are back from our break. I'm sitting down with Dr. Amber Woodburn-McNair, and we just left off talking about your experience in uh, choosing to come to Ohio State for a lot of the values they promote around um, inclusivity and intersectionality. Um, and I've got another question. You've described Ohio State as um, maybe a more inclusive environment than others that you've been a part of. 
Um, and there are a lot of resources that Ohio State offers to help train faculty, staff, students, and anyone sort of in our sphere to help connect people in a more sincere way. Um, can you speak to a time that maybe in this workspace or another one, uh, someone has advocated on your behalf? As you know, a woman in STEM, sometimes your voice isn't heard in the way you want it to, or like you said, you're assumed to be the lowest ranking person in the room just because you're the only woman in the room. Um, and I know it can be sort of divisive of where's the line between, you know, supporting and advocating for you and then stepping over the bound and, you know. Yeah, I, I so, um, yeah, in, in general, OSU does have resources. I think they could have more resources, mm-hmm. um, and it is nested in the state of Ohio, which is not the most inclusive state. Absolutely or not. Columbus, not the most inclusive town mm-hmm. or city I've ever lived in. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on eight or nine states now of residency. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as this idea of who is advocating for you or helping you be heard, sometimes I frame that as who's really good at sharing the stage with mm-hmm. people that I would view as having more privileged identities. And, yeah. and, then I, and I think of this in that way that I framed it, like who's assumed to have the highest level of competency versus who's assumed to have the lowest level of competency. Yeah. So if by, you know, traditional social norms and standards, um, you know, this, uh, a, a reasonably dressed, able-bodied, middle-aged or seasoned, um, you know, white man is with me, he's assumed to have more authority or competency kind of off the bat than I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really value the men in those positions who know that that's the dynamic and they make an effort to share the stage and share the space and Mm -hmm. remind people of what I'm capable of and how, and and remind people when I'm the leader and they are playing a supporting role. Um, So within the Knowlton school, there's definitely, I can think of, um, uh, a staff member who was I just nominated him and he by his good merits won this great award for supporting research as a staff member mm-hmm. in the College of Engineering because of the work that he does with small drones and mm-hmm. doing some aerial photography and uh, data collection for myself and other faculty and mm-hmm. we were spotlighted locally on a news channel mm-hmm. and I was edited out of the spotlight completely mm-hmm. that the news channel made and he mm-hmm. was sort of led, led the audience was led to believe that he was the one running the class huh. and and leading the project and he mm-hmm. he made great contributions so yeah. to challenge uh, figure out how to challenge the the narrative that you know actually I designed this I was in charge yeah. Um, and he did a great job supporting the classroom and the research part of it. Um, but how do we how do we move to a point where I, I get the credit I feel like I deserve yeah. or that I do deserve? Yeah. Um, and he he saw that. And when we were essentially sharing space at a at a conference presenting this work, he was so great about reminding people of my contribution in the way that I led it, right? He mm-hmm. shared the stage beautifully, and he still got all the credit he deserved, right? Mm-hmm. So I think of moments like that where it's not necessarily someone calling up, you know, headquarters to say, I can't believe this happened to Amber, and yeah. we should do X, Y, Z to make it better, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just, like, 
acknowledging they have a role in all of this, whether they're the decision maker or the producer or whoever it is making these choices, Mm -hmm. they're participants with me and they can choose to elevate and share the stage the same way I can choose to elevate and share the stage, whether I'm talking about other colleagues or students or people who might be perceived to to have less of a contribution Mm -hmm. than than they really had, right? So I I don't know if that sort of gets at the... Yeah, I mean, that pretty much... Spirit of the question. Yeah, that that definitely gets to the gist of it. Um, So another question that has been on my mind since I've met you. You are an incredibly fashionable, stylish person. (laughs) That's so nice of you. Get me an invite to the Met Gala. (laughs) But honestly, no, like for the entire class this past semester, Johnny and I, like every day you come in with a great outfit and we're like, man, like when's she going to start like a fashion blog or like where's her Instagram? (laughs) Like incredibly fashionable. And I don't see a lot of instructors, professors on campus dressing as youthfully stylishly as you because you're like very on trend and like you just you're so cool all the time (laughs) and you know if I didn't know that you were a professor I'd probably think like oh that's probably a grad student or some just like super cool model hanging out on campus for the day don't know what she's up to I wish I was going (laughs) with her um so I'm curious how kind of just your physical appearance and the performance of just everyday dressing how you want to dress yeah. has affected which I believe it probably has uh, your experience working oh yeah I went through a phase when I was in an all-male I was the only female in an all-male office and all the men were easily old enough to be my father at the time and mm-hmm. this was this is before graduate school uh I I mean I I won't. I don't. I don't have a lookbook of what I looked like then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked. I, at minimum, I looked very feminine and young because I was mm-hmm. feminine and young, uh, and I received a lot of harassment. And then I went through a phase of like baggy clothes, mm-hmm. boring work pants, trying to strip away what I thought was my femininity that was attracting the harassment or attention that I didn't want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I went through a phase where I, I literally just stripped away part of who I was and mm-hmm. the things I like. Like I used to make my I used to experiment with making clothes when I was in high school and like aggressive shop, uh, thrift shopper. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I loved that aspect of how I presented myself to the world and packaged who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a pleather phase at one point. Oh man. Like (laughs) queen. I was all over the place for a while. Um, and so the experience, honestly, of stripping away that part of me and realizing how miserable it made me Mm -hmm. gave me made me realize that that's who I am and I can't I can't hide that and yeah. be happy I can't and and it's I don't mean to it sounds almost as dramatic as like oh my identity <laughs> and my social orientation like it's not that dramatic but it is a part it is a small small corollary of like hiding away a piece of yourself to look more like the male heteronormative Mm-hmm. Um, bland workplace society mm-hmm. that is, quote, being a professional. Right? Yeah. Um, and I had to come to terms with myself. Of, like, I'm a little bit more flamboyant and expressive as a person. Mm-hmm. And that also comes through with how I package myself. And it doesn't mean I don't look professional, right? I have a, yeah. I have a colored button-up shirt on, but I have some loud pants on right mm-hmm. now, okay? Um, <laughs> I still look professional, but I look like me as a professional. And leaning mm-hmm. into the idea of, I've made it, I'm here, I'm qualified, I'm not coming in um, trying to tell other people how to dress, you know, and as long mm-hmm. as I look presentable, 
Yeah. You know, why can't, why can't I just look how I look? Like I've always been irritated at the idea of like, you can't have, you know, tattoos in a workplace. Like, yeah. always, th- those types of things have always bothered me because it just makes this homogenous view of what, uh, what a designer, like you're a designer of the built environment when you're a civil engineer, when yeah. you're a planner, right? Like why that should attract some weird flamboyant personality mm-hmm. types. I would hope it does. Right? <laughs> um, and I, uh, remember I received an award from WTS, which is women's transportation seminar group. They do a lot of support for, mm-hmm. um, women at all stages of their career, including in education, and I received uh, an award in graduate school, and I very deliberately wore like this crazy shade of like fuchsia, hot pink tights, <laughs> and like a black and white weird print mini dress. I just looked so like mod sixties feminine. Oh, I love very it. Very on purpose. I love it. Because I was like, I am being honored by a bunch of women, and this is mm-hmm. my honestly fuck you to all those moments where I felt like I just couldn't lean into my version of womanhood that I wanted to express mm-hmm. because it was. Um, a point of harassment or a point of making me look like I don't belong. Like, well, you don't look, now it's like, well, you don't look like a professor. I can't tell you how many times some stranger meets me. They start out, you know, small talk. What do you do? Oh, I'm an assistant professor at OSU. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. you don't look like a professor. What does a professor look like? Tell me that. Riddle me this. Right. And I'm like, oh, like, do I need a beard and a tweed jacket? Is that the only way a professor looks? Um, And I, you know, a small part of me hopes that if I'm just a little bit more, honest with how I want to express myself and still professional that other people will see that yeah there's a lot of ways to express yourself and be be a professional be competent make a contribution lead something you know mm-hmm. like you don't I don't like the idea of everyone having this homogenous um, expectation of what it means to be a profession Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, If you're interested in what Dr. Amber Woodburn McNair is up to, links to her profile Ohio State will be down in that description. Tune in next week for another new guest with more stories to share. This has been Stems and Leaves. Thanks for listening. It's about to take these moods I know.